I picked up the radio and I called out and I said, this is Jim Barrett. George Keeley has had a heart attack and he can't fly the airplane. I don't know how to fly it. Will somebody help me? Imagine that you're in a small plane and then suddenly the plane's only pilot can't fly it anymore. And you're now several thousand feet above the ground, moving at least a couple hundred miles an hour. And it's completely up to you to figure out how to get down. On this episode of That Doesn't Happen Every Day, in which we interview everyday people about things that normally don't happen every day, we hear an oral history from someone who had that exact experience. James E. Barrett was the Attorney General of Wyoming in 1969 and was flying from Cheyenne to Riverton, Wyoming, when he found himself in a spot that everyday and not-so-everyday people all dread happening to them. We met out here at the airport about 2.30 in the afternoon that day. My wife had asked me to drive. She said, are you worried about the weather? I said, it will be, it'll be okay the route we're going to go. Mr. Barrett's wife had considered going on the flight with him, but couldn't find a babysitter. I put the briefcase on my lap. I was going to read the material for the court hearing uh, while we were flying. The only other person on board was sitting right next to Mr. Barrett in the cockpit, the pilot, George Keeley. He wanted to talk, so we just... He just kept right on talking, so I finally put the briefcase in the back seat. So we got in the Sinclair area. We were flying 200 miles an hour, or a little faster maybe. And uh, anyway, all of a sudden, the plane lurched upwards. Usually they drop, you know, but it lurched upwards. And I looked over and I thought, what in the world's going on, you know? And I saw that uh, his face had turned like he's looking out on the wing. So I kind of stood up in my seat to to see what was going on. And there wasn't anything, so I settled back. Just a few moments later, it lurched again upward. I looked over, and his head is still turned over there. So I called out. I said, George, are you okay? No response. And I called a couple other times. No response. So I reached over, and I took his shoulders to turn his head around and his face was just white as a seat perspiration on it his eyes were glazy he had had a cerebral hemorrhage I thought it was a heart attack with a cerebral hemorrhage and he couldn't speak I looked and I saw his right arm is dangling his left arm is still out on the wheel of the airplane and uh, I took my handkerchief out I cleared his face and I tried to get him to speak. I think he might have tried. I couldn't get any response from him of any kind. And he still is piloting the plane. It's kind of lurching a little bit. So I think I probably was just petrified right then. I just couldn't believe what was happening. I uh, picked up the radio and I called out and I said, this is Jim Barrett. George Keeley has had a heart attack and he can't fly the airplane. I don't know how to fly it. Will somebody help me? They could hear me, but I could never receive. I tried to receive. I could never receive anything. I couldn't hear them. I put the radio back, uh, and uh, I looked in the cubby and see if I could find some material about how to fly the plane. Not a thing anywhere. I tried again to see if George could respond. He couldn't. So I finally took control of the wheel on my side. I knew enough about flying a bit about how to get forward and back and up and sideways. I knew there were rudders and gear and brakes, but I didn't know which was which. I know that I'm in the bear oil area of Sinclair. 
and I knew Rollins was not far away, so I decided to go to Rollins and try that. I followed the railroad tracks and the highway. I was there in just a few minutes, you know. James Barrett's radio calls for help were not in vain. Even though he couldn't hear anyone responding to his calls, a pilot who happened to be in the area had heard him and tried to get Barrett to follow him. However, Barrett either didn't see him or wasn't able to. I flew over the airport two or three times. I'd come down close, going 200 miles an hour. It was just ridiculous, you know, to even think about landing. Pilots normally start to slow down as they approach their runway. However, in this case, James was worried that if he touched the throttle, he might cause the engine to stall or even die in the air. Another problem he experienced as he circled the airport was the pilot himself. He was incapacitated, but still showing signs of life. By this time, he has vomited a couple of times, and now he had he hemorrhaged from the mouth. Blood came gushing out, covered the panel, covered my hands on the throttle, my suit, and uh, it was just mammoth blood all over the place. At one point, Barrett even described the pilot as lunging at him, his weight pinning him tightly against the door and side window as he tried to fly the plane. While pinned underneath this bigger person, he said he even saw the top of the church where he and his wife had gotten married below him. I've had to fight the, uh, him off any number of times. I had a lot of close calls. Both James and the pilot were only secured in the cockpit by lap seat belts, the kind that don't have a shoulder harness, and it's unclear if the pilot kept getting in Barrett's way because of the movements of the plane, or perhaps because of involuntary movements after his stroke, or maybe a combination of both, but in any case it made it a lot harder to try to learn how to fly a plane in midair. But I eventually made up my mind I was going to try to land I said for prayers for George and I and my family. I, I, I figured there was no chance I'd ever survive it. I'd made up my mind that I was going to do the very best I could, and that was it. I was going to kill the motor about a block and away from the airship. It would have slowed the plane down probably 50 miles, I don't know. I'd still be going too fast, I knew that. But I had my hand on the throttle ready to kill the motor when his body came over and hit me and threw me against the seat on the right side. The right wing tipped over and it touched a power line. And electricity went racing right up the plane. It took the power line out, I found out later. Barrett circling over Rollins is the stuff of local legends. Barrett's son Richard said that a baker saw the plane flying so low at his bakery truck that he jumped out of the door while it was moving and it smashed into a parked car. Two lawyers meeting on the top floor of the courthouse said the plane clipped the antenna on its roof as it pulled up at the last minute. I was so exhausted from all the things that had happened. I took it up to about 5,000 feet, and I was coming back on the left side of the interstate when uh, I ran out of gasoline. I looked out, and I saw a pretty pretty level area right there. I thought, well, I'm going to get this over with right here. But the motor caught on again. There's enough gasoline in the line. See, It ran for maybe about a minute, then it cut off again. That happened three times, and every time that it happened, it slowed the plane down. So instead of 200 miles an hour, I'm probably down to 125 or 30. Then finally it cut off entirely, and the nose turned over and went straight down. And I pulled back on the wheel very gradually, and they said that saved, saved me because I did get it into a glide. But it's going down pretty fast, you see, without any power. So I found an open space that I thought, well, I'm coming in. 
I'm getting close to the ground. I remember saying to George, please stay on your side, George. I get down close and I pull back on the wheel. All the wheels touched on the ground and it ran for a little bit. Then the nose of the plane turned into the ground. And I'm still running on the wheels with the nose in the ground. And it's just grinding the engine apart. And it slowly is just eating the engine up. And I'm, I'm holding on to the wheel just as hard as fast as I can. I thought, well, it's slowing this plane down. Maybe there's a chance, you know. But it kept on grinding away till it got pretty close to the panel. I thought, well, we gave it a crack. Then the left wheel hit a boulder and it stopped the plane just like that. It sent my face into the panel and it was such force it pressed my left eye back in the socket three-eighths of an inch, broke all the bones around the eye, sent me rocketing back on the ch in my chair with such force that I broke the seat off the rail in back of me. And I'm upside down in the airplane as the plane tipped over on its wings. I probably was unconscious for just a certain period of time there. When I finally look up, I see a, a little flame up ahead in the motor. I realize that I'm I'm alive, and I, I remember saying to myself, my gosh, I'm alive. <laughs> and I took the, the seat belt off, and I crawled up and got out of the plane. I had the handkerchief up against my head, my face. It was bleeding very badly there. And the, the first fellow came through a fence running toward me. It was a fellow named Sam, and I recognized him, and he came running up to me, and I... I was so glad to see somebody. I put my hand out. I said, how are you, Sam? I in an ambulance and took me to the hospital. At the hospital, Jim had to have emergency surgery on a compressed vertebra and later would have to have surgery to bring his eye back in place. He would continue to have some vision problems for the rest of his life in that eye. Stanley Hathaway, who was the governor of Wyoming at that time, visited Barrett in the hospital. He said, this wouldn't have happened to you if I hadn't... Uh... Uh, talked to him to come into Cheyenne. <laughs> I said, no. <laughs> the pilot, George Keeley, was survived by his wife and two adult children. His remains were taken to Cheyenne the night after the crash where funeral services were held. James Barrett was asked if he had ever ridden in a single-engine plane since the crash. I never have since, but I would. I would, but as long as I knew how to operate the radio... And I knew the difference between the uh, pedals on the brakes and, this, and how to operate them. They, they have two pilots, I guess, in every state airplane today. They don't have single pilots any longer. I'm very lucky. I really am. No doubt about that. Two years after the crash, President Richard Nixon appointed Jim Barrett as a judge of the United States Court of Appeals for the Tenth Circuit. He lived to be 89 passing away in 2011 in Cheyenne, Wyoming. I'd like to thank a few people really quick. First of all, James Barrett. He recorded this oral history a few years back, and I wanted to also make sure to thank Mark Youngie, who recorded it. I wanted to thank Rich Barrett, James Barrett's son, who helped me a lot with the research on this project. I wanted to thank the Wyoming State Archives, where I found this oral history. If you'd like to check out some of the oral histories they have on file, I will post their link in the description. I also want to make sure to thank Susie Taylor of the Wyoming Archive for helping me with some of this research as well. Please share this episode or one of the other episodes you've liked with a friend or on social media, and I will get back to you in a few weeks. Thanks.